Pastor Mike here. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Uh, If you haven't already, I'd love for you to sign up for our daily email. It's a great way to start the day. It's the way that I start my day. (laughs) And it's a way to bring God's word straight into your inbox first thing in the morning. Uh, My teammates at Time of Grace do a fantastic job of giving you video and written devotions, blog posts, podcast episodes, and the occasionally fun and quirky social media posts. And all of it's to encourage you with God's amazing word. Just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up today. He sat down in the chair right across from me. He said, no one could ever understand, no one could ever describe with words or pictures what I am going through unless they have experienced it for themselves. He had lost his wife about six months before this conversation. So when I asked him to stop by so we could talk about this and also talk about God's comfort that he provides, that was the first thing that he said. No one can understand. And if you haven't lost someone close to you, I'm, I'm happy for you. But for most of us, we have. And it's hard to define. Grief is not like a shape with lines and definitions. It's not like an equation with numbers and you can add it up and, and see something definite. It's not something you can even really describe with a thousand pictures. It's so random and confusing and complicated. So what do you do with grief? That's a really good question to consider, especially if you're the person who is the best contact person for someone who is grieving. For starters, there's a long list, a long, long list. You can just go looking and you'll find plenty of them, of all the do's and don'ts, and I won't exhaust or even go through several of them here. Although they're worth looking through because you don't want to be the person who says the wrong thing or does the wrong thing, it's maybe important just to consider this one thing first. If it was your mother, father, who's going through grieving, if, if you're the best person to contact that friend, that loved one, who is almost sick with pain and anguish, maybe first consider this. Don't give up. You be the one to go and encourage them. You can go to them and offer words of prayer. Never ever underestimate the profound power of showing up. And then don't let them push you away. Never give up on them. But more than likely, for the majority of people, this isn't just about telling other people how to encourage those who are grieving, but it's, it's maybe you, quite likely you, who are grieving. Talked to a, re- a, a lady recently who was reaching out to a friend who had lost her husband of 50 years. And the way this lady described it is that her brain feels like jello. You think of one of those big jello mounds on a plate all jiggling around and It's hard to handle. She said her brain is like that. She doesn't really know what to do with most of her day. How confusing. I talked to another man who said that initially, although it's gotten a little bit better, initially his symptoms of grief have been so severe that his body would shut down. He goes to his doctor regularly now to adjust medication to help him. Grief is awful. It's huge. It's daunting. There's that common poem that it's like an ocean and it ebbs and flows and sometimes it's stormy and sometimes it's peaceful and calm, but it's never the same from one day to the next or maybe even from one moment to the next. So where do you start when it comes to grief? More importantly, what good can come 
from grief. That's what I would like to talk to you about over the next few videos. And so where do we begin? Maybe first begin with where Jesus came into contact with a grieving woman. There was this woman in this town called Nain, and she was a widow. And at that time, if you were a widow, you didn't have a lot of chances of making a good living for yourself. Well, unless you had a son, but then her son died. Look at what happens. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, this is one of those times when you might think, oh, Jesus, he, you did one of those platitude things. You went up to the person who's crying and grieving, and you said one of those things that you just shouldn't say. And you know what often happens when you say don't cry to people who are crying? At least in my experience, it just makes them cry all the more. Like, what, is, what is Jesus saying? Except you can't skip over a couple details. First of all, look at where this woman is. She's with a big crowd of people exactly what those people need in our lives who are grieving. They need us. Exactly what you need to not isolate yourself or insulate yourself from others. But notice the other detail. His heart went out to her. Literally, Jesus is moved inwardly to, to go to her. And that's what makes his words, don't cry, so meaningful and profound, especially if you are grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe for you it was a child. I can't fathom what that would be like. I can't even begin to wrap my brain around how hard that grief would be, that loss would be. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent, a grandparent. Maybe if you're like me, your grandparents are gone and that is in and of itself kind of a daunting reminder that one generation goes and then usually comes the next generation. Maybe it was a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. No matter what it was, all grief matters. There's no comparison game. There's no diminishing any of it, and it hurts. But Jesus, and you have to know this, Jesus' heart goes out to you too. But he doesn't just say, don't cry. Look at what he does next. Then he went up and touched the coffin they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Do you know what Jesus does for those who are grieving? His heart goes out to them. But that's not all. He doesn't just say certain platitudes from far away. No, he gets close. In fact, grief, you might even say, is the arena in which God gets closest to us. He gets close to us because he cares. He has a heart that aches when ours aches. And if that's the case for this young man raised back from the dead and his mother, it's the same for you. But what you also have to know is that God gets close because he wants to point our eyes to the only one who can do anything about death and all that we feel in grief. This is the Savior who controls not just blips in time, but eternity in his hands. And with those eternal palms, he draws close to coffins and cares for those who are hurting as you stand there too, as you think about the graveside, 
as you deal with your loss. So where to begin? To know that not only does God's heart go out to you, but Jesus draws close to you. And one day he will stretch out his hand and raise the ones whom we have lost and raise us too. And in that moment, he will give them all back to us. Do you know what a phantom pain is? I didn't know what it was until I had a member of mine have part of his leg amputated. Long story. But when his part of his leg was gone, he would still feel pain in his foot and in the part of his leg and even in his toes, even though they weren't there. Feeling the pain from something that's no longer there is exactly how that man described the ache that he has in his heart since his wife had passed away six months prior to that conversation I mentioned. She's not there, but he still feels the pain as though she is there. And that sounds weird, but I'll explain. He said, I still sometimes get frustrated with her, even though she's not there. I still sometimes talk as though she's going to be right there, but she's not there. I roll over in bed as though she's going to be there and she's not there. It's like there's this phantom pain that I have following me around. As it turns out, that just so happens to be a good description of one of the many symptoms that people feel when they experience grief. It probably is worth noting that when we experience loss and when we go through grief, we are changed forever. There is no time when we all of a sudden snap out of it. It doesn't help to hear from other people that we will get over it someday. In fact, that man that I mentioned earlier, he actually said, you never get over it. You just learn to better live through it. And, and that's some wonderful advice. So this phantom pain that he experiences, as he called it, it's one of many symptoms that people can experience. I recently looked at a resource on how to help those that are grieving. And there was a whole page, three columns. It filled the whole page of all of the symptoms that people feel. Anger and frustration, guilt fear, self-loathing, bitterness and anger, even resentment towards family and friends. All of these things happen and there's many more. Some of them are even confusing. People don't even know why. Somebody might act resentful towards another person in their family all of a sudden. And yet of all of the things that go on, one of the struggles that everyone faces is where do I take my first steps? How, how do I find any goodness in grief when I can't even get going? Do you know what that man said? He said, I had to take my first steps. Had to find purpose in small tasks, one at a time, one day at a time, one step at a time. If I'm going to go brush my teeth, I'm going to go brush my teeth. It sounds like it's minor and you could just pass it off, but that's pretty important. Taking your first steps can be a challenge when you still feel the pain from that person who's no longer there. And that's why it's also important to know that when you take those first steps and every single step, you're not alone. Not only are there tons of people around who seek to encourage you, but you also have a God who is with you. There was a man in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, who experienced incredible loss throughout his life. So many times when his own life was threatened too. 
As he's grieving the loss of others and even filled with fear of his own death, he writes that most famous psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Did, did you see what he did there? He's talking about the shepherd. He guides me, he leads me, he restores my soul. As though the Lord is our shepherd, but, but he's over there. But then when it comes to the time when we are in the darkest valley, when we are filled, especially in this case with grief, you can't move, you can't function, you don't even know what to do next. You are with me. He changes the person. No longer is he talking in third person about the Lord who's over there. He is talking in second person as if the Lord is right here. He's always near. And that's not just David speaking for himself. He's speaking for us too. When you're not sure how to get going, you don't even know what to do tomorrow. You, you don't have to make all of these big decisions, but what you can do, even in those darkest moments of grief, the darkest valleys, you don't have to talk to God as though he's far away. You could turn right to him and say, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like a shepherd, he's going to protect us and encourage us. He's going to comfort us along the way and he will never leave us. After all, if he's the God who loves us, not just for time, but has given us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, then will he not walk with us now? Even if we're just going to take that very first and next step. A lady in my church came to my office. She wanted to talk about how she was still struggling with the loss of her husband. She had lost him two years ago, and there's no timetable on grief as though people are gonna get over it at a certain point. So I asked her what she had been up to and she had traveled to see the kids and the grandkids but then I asked her how she had been feeling as of late. And you know what she said? She said she was angry. She was angry at everyone. She was angry at herself, at her husband, who's now in heaven. She was angry with her kids, her grandkids, her neighbors, her coworkers. She had an explanation for all of it. She said, I know you probably think that I'm crazy for being angry at everyone, and I even have reasons, so I've thought about it, but, but I just want to tell you how I'm feeling, and I don't know why. The first thing I had to tell her is that that's normal. I think most people probably go through that. It's easy to get angry at the other person when you think about what they've left you with. They should have made better preparations. You get mad that maybe you didn't have a better relationship or really mad about some of the final circumstances and maybe some of that anger is directed right at them. You can get angry that they weren't a, a better parent, a better child a better spouse, a better worker, a better planner. They didn't clean up that mess before they left. It's normal. You might also get angry at yourself. You wish you were a better spouse, a better parent now that your child is gone, or you were a better child to your parents now that one or both of them are gone. 
you wish you weren't so short-tempered. You wish you had kinder things to say that, that you showed up that time when you should have. It's, you would have spent more time on those special days and maybe more time even in between those holidays. That's normal. I know I felt that. People commonly even get angry with God. God is loving. God is in control. Why would he do this to me? He's, he's the one who really could take care of this. This could have gone differently. The way he took my loved one from me, it should have gone better. It's normal to feel that way. But can I suggest that we pull back some of the layers of that onion, proverbially speaking, and, and ask ourselves, behind a lot of this anger, what's really going on? Where's a lot of our focus? That man I told you about in the previous two videos, he said, I realized finally why I'm angry. It's because I'm thinking a lot about me. Now, that doesn't mean that you're angry and therefore you're selfish and, sh and so you shouldn't do that. No, it, it means that this is normal, but that's a profound piece of wisdom that that man shared. That when we're thinking about why we're so upset, we're to a large degree thinking about ourselves. And yes, that's normal. And we might even say that's okay, but we have to remember we're, we're just only one part of this grander puzzle and God is certainly at work. When it's hard to decipher all of the emotions and feelings, especially anger, do you know what God does? Look no farther than that first Easter morning. Let me share these words as Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary was so confused, so filled with all sorts of emotion that she couldn't even see that the one thing she was looking for was right there in front of her. How blinding the anger, maybe, the fear, the sadness, the worry. And yet of all of those emotions, and there probably were more, she couldn't see the person in front of her, and yet, there he was. The one thing she needed to wipe away that blurry vision, so to speak, and to give her not just the thing she needed then, but the thing she needs forever. A savior who didn't just die and promise to take away her sins and give her eternal life, but the savior who walked out of the grave and even crushed death as he went over that threshold. And he calls her by name, Mary. And he knows her name just as he knows your name. So listen to your Savior as he calls your name today. You can imagine him saying it out loud, putting yourself in this story with your anger and aggression, the host of other emotions that you are feeling, the concoction of everything that's frustrating you, and simply listen to your Savior call you by name. For the one who rose from the dead knows what you're going through. And he's the one who seeks to remove that blurry vision 
so you would focus on him and all of the eternal blessings that he gives. He is right here with you, right now. Do you know the worst question you could ever ask on a trip? Are we there yet? That's outlawed with my kids. If we're on a long drive, but you know how that goes, they still end up asking. It's usually after they've been in a tight space on a flight or the drive is too long or they just are so excited to get to that destination. And so they ask, they can't help it, whether they're crying or they're shouting or they're whispering because they don't want to get in trouble, are we there yet? But kids are not the only ones who ask that question, are they? We might ask that question on a trip, but we certainly do ask that question when we're going through certain challenging phases in life, especially when it comes to grief. Countless conversations I've had with people and they all say the same thing. Am I ever going to get there? Am I, am I gonna be there yet? Sometime soon, that proverbial destination where they won't feel this pain, this ache, and experience these symptoms of grief that they are going through in that moment. And as we've said, there's no schedule, there's no timetable, there's no blueprint for how each person goes through grief. And this is very complicated too. There's a physical aspect to this. Am I always going to feel this ache in my gut, this lump in my throat, this pain in my chest when I think about my loved one who is now gone? There's an emotional aspect. We cry, we weep. That man that I told you about in a previous video who sat in the chair across from me, he said, I've never cried so much in my entire life and I don't know why. What he meant was this was good for him and it is good for us to cry as we grieve. There's a relational piece to this too. Sometimes when a loved one goes, we lose some of the relationships we had on account of that loved one. So maybe you feel like the third wheel. So hanging out with couples, you just don't anymore and those friendships seem to be drifting apart. It's almost like you're grieving the loss of your loved one and you're grieving the loss of friendships. It can be challenging talking with some of the parents that you talk to if you've lost a child. It can be hard to talk to some of the parents that you know, especially if you've lost a parent. All of this even gets further complicated when you think about the spiritual struggles, the questions that we ask of God, the prayers that we pray. But that's why we have to remember that no is not the only answer to the question, am I ever gonna get there? The best answer is no, but yes. We're not ever going to get back to wherever we were and be free from all types of grief when we've lost someone who's close to us. But we will get better at going through these symptoms and these pains because the sun always shines behind the clouds, and sometimes God enables us to even see the rays of his love shine through in our lives physically as he frees us from some of this pain over time, only in his will and according to his ways. That was certainly the case. When you consider Jesus and the way that he started grieving for the loss of a friend of his, you see, before Jesus rose that Easter morning, and called Mary by name, he called someone else by name in a very profound way too. Jesus' good friend Lazarus had died and Jesus was also friends with Lazarus's two sisters, Mary 
and Martha. They go out to meet him, and they even confess faith in this fact. Jesus, I know that you will raise him again on the last day. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection from the dead. Eternal life is found in him. And you know what he does? He goes up to the tomb and he tells them to roll the stone away. And it had been days and they're thinking, it smells, this is a bad idea. And he says, no, roll the stone away. And then do you know what he says? He says, Lazarus, come out. And the man walked out. Now, I never thought about this particular piece of the story until I was reading somebody several years ago from England who was writing a commentary on this. He said, it's a good thing that he called Lazarus by name. Otherwise, all of the dead within earshot would have listened to the voice of the resurrection and the life, and they would have walked out too. It's remarkable to think of the power that Jesus has as he calls Lazarus by name, and he knows you by name too. So as you think of your life and all of the pain that you feel, Jesus hates death. He wept over the grave of his friend Lazarus. He doesn't like it one bit. That's why he doesn't leave you. That's why he is here with you. Every time when you feel the waves crashing, the waves of pain and frustration, those weepy moments when you break down and cry, someone reminded you of something very meaningful with your spouse or your child, and you just have to quit, whatever it is that you're doing and cry. Jesus is with you in that moment. He calls Lazarus by name. He called you by name too. When he brought you into his eternal family and prepared a place for you. And so what you have to know is that no matter where you are on the phases of grief, no matter how much you wish you could just be done with it all, Jesus is with you every step of the way. And one day he will say, not just to your loved one, but also to you. He will call you by name and he will bring you out of all of this pain so you will simply bask in the sunshine of our Savior forever. I talked to somebody recently who used to be a college sprinter. They would run the 100 meter, the 200 meter, and I asked them, because we were talking about a portion in scripture about the cloud of witnesses that God has that encourage us with their lives of faith. I asked him, is there anything that you can tell me from your experience of being a sprinter at the college level, division one, is there anything you can tell me about the difference between sprinting in practice or sprinting at a meet where there was nobody versus sprinting in front of a big crowd? He talked a little bit about the nervousness but then he went on to say, I always ran my fastest times in front of a big crowd. As we run through life, it can be hard for us to do it alone. In fact, we're not made to do that alone. The one thing we are not made to do is handle any part of life, not the sprints, not the marathonic type version of life that we might think it to be, alone. We, we're just not built that way. And imagine if you were left to your grief all alone. That truth, as challenging as it is, hit me like a ton of bricks one day. Being a pastor of a church, I've done several funerals. That's no surprise. But one thing I had never thought of is how 
as a pastor, when you're encouraging those who are grieving, to not overlook how God works through those people to encourage you when you are grieving. You get close to people. You're, you're there when they have their celebrations and you're there maybe even when they're gasping at, at their last breath and God calls them home right there at their bedside. I've been there several times. Maybe you have too. And maybe that's what makes this such a challenge. But can I tell you a story? There's this one particular lady from church and I've had several funerals. This one in particular, which all of them are different from the other. This was a lady who always took time to contact me, always. She would stop by and drop off a little muffin at my desk if she saw my car was there. She would reach out to me, to my wife, and encourage our kids and spend time with us. She'd invite us over for meals. And so when God called her home, it hit me in a special way. Not that it hit me more than any others. Anytime God takes people from us, it hurts. That's why we don't play the grief comparison game, right? But this one hit me in a unique way from all of the rest because I still miss her. I still miss those opportunities to talk with her. She was so wise and, and caring and encouraging, not just for me, but for my wife, my kids. That's pretty profound. But do you know what happened after the funeral? It was a couple days later and her husband came to my office and he said, I just wanted to reach out to you because I know that you're grieving too. He just lost his wife of over 50 years. They have kids, they have grandkids. It's only a couple days after the funeral, there's still family in town. He kind of set them up with a the park. They could kind of walk and see some scenic views for a second. And he said, I'm gonna go stop by and see pastor. And you know what he did? He said, I care about you. How are you doing? There he was <laughs> counseling, encouraging me about my grief. It's something that I didn't really think about. Maybe pastors don't often think about that. And if you have a pastor, and I hope you do, maybe more, maybe you should consider encouraging them because odds are they're grieving too when they lose loved ones in their church family. And that's why God gives us this very powerful reminder, this impactful encouragement. It's towards the end of the chapter, uh, chapter 12 in Romans. It's very simple, this is what he says. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You think back to one of the earlier videos when we talked about the widow at Nain and her dead son, that crowd that was around her. All of the people that were there when Lazarus walked out of the tomb, not just Mary and Martha, Jesus and the disciples, but the whole town in Bethany. You think about the number of people who have been around you, who have witnessed what you're going through. And yet, throughout this entire process, God has brought good about, at least in this way, in addition to many others. He's made you equipped and experienced to see the people in your life who need help so that you can rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but especially since you know what it's like to go through this grief, you can grieve with those who grieve too. And in this way, it's not just us who know that we are not meant to go through life alone. It's the people we encourage as well.